Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the time to be in your word. Father, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through your word today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, does everybody have a Bible or a phone with a Bible? Who's? Oh, the kids. Okay, uh, kids are dismissed to the other uh, reliable person back there, uh, Gabe. So who, uh, does everybody have a Bible? I want, I want active participants today, uh, not just passive. And so if you have your phone and, and a Bible on your phone, that's fine. Just stay off the emails and video games. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, the ushers have some. If you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Okay, everybody's got a Bible. Yeah, so we're going to be active participants today. So uh, Chris and I went to a... Um, to a um, pastor's conference at Master's Seminary uh, in March. And uh, we had a lot of great speakers, but during one of the smaller sessions, uh, one of the speakers, speakers was Abner Chow. Uh, he's Associate Professor of Bible at Master's College. Uh, his presentation was on seeing Christ in all of Scripture. So you would not believe it. He gave a three-hour presentation in less than an hour. He was talking so fast, you could hardly keep up with it. I mean, forget, forget trying to take notes. I mean, I, this guy was amazing, just whoo. So if I start speaking a little fast today, it's because I'm trying to get through a whole bunch of notes, you know. And so um, that's, uh, I, I won't be like uh, Professor Chow, but hopefully I won't. Okay, turn to Matthew 18. Um, the passage today is Matthew 18, 7 through 14, but we're going we're gonna to read starting at verse 1 again, just to get the context of everything going on. Okay, everybody have it? Uh, Matthew 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more 
than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So I want to give a little, a little background and, and just a recap from, from last week. Um, this section talks about, oh, I mean, first the, the disciples were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. Okay, so obviously uh, when you're trying to convince somebody that you're greater than them, you're obviously, it's a little bit of a selfish attitude. You're trying to promote yourself and put somebody else down. So the disciples were doing that, you know promoting each other themselves and trying to put each other down. Who is the greatest? I mean, they had these arguments before. Who, you know, which, which one of them was greater? You know, John, for, hey, you know, can I sit at your right hand, you know, when we're in heaven? And, you know, they had these, these grand illusions of themselves. And so, um, so Jesus uh, stopped that real quick. I mean, they were probably stirring up jealousy, anger towards each other. You know, they were obviously selfish, so... You know, Jesus put a stop to it real quick. But I, I want to just, uh, and, then, and then Jesus went on to point out that who is the greatest in the kingdom? The one who humbles himself. And then he brought this child, and he said, it's like this child. Now, the child, um, he refers to this child as, as a child, one who believes. So the child sort of rep- represents believers. So, yeah, we're all children, and uh, so... The example given here is a child who is a believer. And so that Jesus goes on the warnings about, about not leading this child, this other believer, into sin. And so this whole section is talking about that, and even the parable of the sheep, you know, going out and looking for the lost sheep. And so it's, it's dealing with, um, with people who are in the kingdom, who have humbled themselves. And so um, just a reminder that, that we are united with Christ. I mean, we as a church body, this is not a social club that we come to. It's a very special uh, a fellowship that we're in. When you put your faith and trust in Christ as a believer, you become a part of the body of Christ. Not just the Moore Park Bridge, you become a body of the believers in Moore Park. And you become a body, a part of the believers in California and in the United States and in the world. I mean, we are a part of this unique, special body of Christ. And so, uh, just reading in John 17, 20, Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus says he is in God, God is in him. We are in Jesus, he is in us. I mean, that's that's a pretty unique fellowship that we're a part of. We are one with Christ. You can't separate Christ from his people. I mean, you just can't, can't do that. We are in him and he in us. He is, he is the groom, we are the bride. He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the head, we are the body. We all share the, the same indwelling spirit. We are being built into a dwelling of God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's 1 Peter 2. 
We're, at, we're being built into a dwelling of God in the Spirit in Ephesians 2.19. Okay, the point is, what we do or don't do to other believers, we do or don't do to God. You may, you may not think of that. The way we treat each other, whether it's this body or other believers in town, people across the world, the way we treat other believers, good or bad, is the way we treat Christ. I mean, Jesus talked about that in Matthew 25. I won't read it, but you can read that later, Matthew 25, 31 to 40. Where, where Jesus says, um, and the people say, well, well when, did we, when did we see you needing something? Or when did, we, you know, when did we see you naked and not clothe you? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? And Jesus said, as you did it to the least of these my children, you did it, did it to me. So, so we as a body of believers, I mean, we're just challenged. I mean, the way we treat each other is the way we treat Christ. So it's easy for us to think, Christ is over here. These believers that I don't really, some of them I don't really care for too much, or I don't want to serve, or I don't want to help. Jesus is over here. The believers over here. No, that's not the way it is. We're, we are together. We are in Christ, He in us, and we're part of each other in this body. We are to be encouraging and building each other up in the faith. Ephesians 4.11. Believers are to, are to receive and treat each other with kindness Forgiveness, humility, with honor, respect, earnest love, no matter who they are or what stage of sanctification they're in, how mature they are in Christ. doesn't matter. We are to care for each other like precious children. Okay, we're going to see a little bit later the parable of the lost sheep. We are to care for each other like precious children. How we treat other believers is how we treat Christ. It's, it is our love for each other that demonstrates our love for Christ. I mean, Jesus said that. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we're not loving each other to the nth degree, we're not loving Christ. And we're not a testimony of Christ to the world. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Who, who of us loves each other to the nth degree? You know, that's pretty hard. <laughs> Uh, but that's what Jesus calls us to do. So um, we're, I just want you to be reminded of those things as we go through Matthew 18. The disciples are there instead arguing about who is the greatest. And so I want you to remember who we are. We're part of a body of Christ. He in us, we in him. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And Jesus said, who is the, who is the greatest? Jesus said, he who humbles himself like this child. That's in, in verse 4. He who humbles himself like this child. Um, later he says, this child, the little one who believes. So, we, so it's, he's referring to this child as a believer, as one who believes. Uh, we all come to Christ with childlike faith. We have, we have no accomplishments. We have no achievements. We have nothing to offer in return for God's love, grace, and mercy. So we all have to come as humble people uh, to Christ. We are wholly dependent and trusting completely on him. We're helpless. So that's the child who Jesus had with him explaining to the disciples, look, you guys, <laughs> uh, you're wrong in trying to argue about who the greatest is. You know, look at this child, humble, and just, you know, remind them that, that they come to Christ humbly. We are completely dependent on Christ. We're a sheep without a shepherd. We, before Christ, we had no hope uh, we were sinners when he showed us his grace. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no boasting. It's a free gift of grace that we receive. It's not, not anything that we did. And so this child in this case, where he says, uh, referring to this child, that this child represents all believers. The little ones who believe in me. So just remember that as we, as we go into that, as we get into the, to the passage in, the, in verse 7. Uh, so I'm going to repeat this often again. How we treat other believers is how we treat Christ. Whoever receives one child in my name receives me, uh, Jesus said in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So when he says, whoever receives one of these child receives, it means to deliberately and readily take something or someone to himself. The term also is used of welcoming honored guests, showing them kindness and attention. Okay, that's how we're to treat each other. It's not always easy, is it? <laughs> Some people irritate us. Some people offend us. Ah, you know, we're just, we're in the body of Christ, it, you know, but it happens. People offend each other. I mean, we're humans. Um, but we are, t- the way we receive them is the way we receive Christ. Um, Jesus gives a severe warning about purity and godliness towards other believers in verse 5. He says, don't put a stumbling block in their way. Whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to stumble or to sin, the word, the word means stumble. And it means to cause to fall, to entice, to trap, or lead a believer to sin. <clears throat> or make it easier for the believer to sin. A person who does this, a person who leads another person or causes another believer to sin is attacking Christ. Because remember, we're all, we're all part of this body. There's no way you cannot separate Christ from the believers and we from each other. We're all, we're all part of each other. You can't separate it. So the way that we treat each other is the way we treat Christ. Whoever attacks each other is attacking Christ. You think, oh, I would never attack Christ. No, but if we attack each other, we're attacking Christ. Jesus uh, points out the seriousness of, of the act. It's better to die a horrible death. And, and Chris explained last week, the millstone used for grinding grain that the, that the uh, donkey would, uh, would haul around, and they referred to it as the millstone of an ass because it was the donkey who was the only thing strong enough to pull that millstone around and crush the grain. It weighed hundreds of pounds. The, Ro- the Romans would often use the millstone as a form of execution, just like Jesus gave the example here of tying it around a person's neck and throwing them in the ocean. So, yeah, maybe the mafia does that. We're familiar with that. But, um, so it's a horrible way to die, wasn't it? It was so bad that the Jews considered that horrible. I mean, it was worse than crucifixion. But that's the example that Jesus uses here in, in um, Matthew 18. And he's using it in, a, in the way of if we cause another believer to sin or to stumble, it would be better for us to die that kind of death. Okay, so that's pretty serious, isn't it? You know, so it's not something that we can take lightly. <clears throat> um, so it's, 
it should have been very sobering to the disciples. Here they were just a few moments ago arguing which one is the greatest. And hopefully they're sobered uh, by this uh, sort of rebuke that Jesus gave them. Uh, Believers are to receive and treat each other with kindness, forgiveness, humility, with honor and respect, with earnest love, no matter who they are or what stage of sanctification they're in. We are to care for each other like precious children. How we treat other believers is how we treat Christ. It is our love for each other that demonstrates our love for Christ. Yeah, I'll keep just repeating that. I mean, we are the church. I mean, this is who we are. You cannot separate Christ from the church, and you cannot separate us from each other. So, like it or not, when you become a believer and you put your faith and trust in Christ, you've just gained a whole new body, all these people here, and all the other believers in the world. So, that's who we are. Okay, so let's go to Matthew uh, 18, verse 7. Uh, the passage for today. Um, Woe to the world. So Jesus continues the, the warning about uh, not leading another believer into sin. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one for whom the temptations come. We expect temptations from the world, don't we? I mean, we do. I mean, um, we, we don't expect temptations from other believers. Um, I was reading in 1 Corinthians 11 during, you know, the, the stuff leading up to the, the, the information on communion and um, where Paul said that, um, that uh, grieving, the controversy, it wasn't controversy, I can look it up, but um, things would happen in the church. There's going to be arguments and disagreements and things like that. He said it, they reveal they're necessary. Okay, we don't like it. Why would, why would uh, controversies be necessary? Because they, they reveal the genuineness of the heart. So, yeah. Um, I'm just quickly, I'm thinking about Jesus being tempted by the devil. You know, going in. I mean, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, temptations are going to come. But Jesus is warning here, Woe to the one from whom the temptations come. Um, woe is a word of cursing and condemnation. Okay, so if you want to be cursed and c- condemned, then just start leading another believer into sin. <laughs> woe to the one um, that leads another into sin. It's a grave warning to the one from whom the temptations come. Jesus had already given the warning. What was it? Uh, it'd be better to be, have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea to die that kind of a death. That's the warning. So it'd be better to have that kind of death than it would be to lead one of these precious little ones who believes, which is a representation of all believers, uh, to sin. It was unthinkable for the Jews even to think of that. Um, it shouldn't, we shouldn't need to even say it, but it's, it's, it's showing the importance of not leading others into, spe- into sin. I mean, anybody... I mean, even a non-believer, we shouldn't be leading a non-believer into sin, but especially not other believers. Okay, so, so causing another believer to stumble. How do, we, how do we lead other believers into sin? You, think, you may think, or you may think of something like, yeah, I can think of something I did or some things I do that aren't a good influence or something, or maybe you can't think of anything. We can, we can lead others into sin directly, Tolerating false teaching, 
I mean, we're it's sort of indirectly, but if we tolerate false teaching and don't challenge it and other believers see that, I mean, we're going to be leading them into sin by having them think that something that's heresy is okay. Okay, so uh, we can get another one to join us in sin. Okay, well, we think, oh, no, I, I don't do that. Might, okay, let's go party. Okay, maybe you get drunk a little bit, or maybe, you know, maybe you... Uh, you know, maybe you have a tendency to drink a little bit too much and get a little drunk, and so then you've got some other believers with you, and suddenly they're led into sin with you. Okay, well, you may not think that's so bad, but I mean, look, at the, look at the warning that Jesus gives. Woe to the one who causes one of these little ones to stumble. Um, we could go see a, a morally poor movie. There's, of course, there's not many of those on the screen, are there? <laughs> I just don't like to go to the movies. I mean, there's just so much bad stuff in the movies, but, but we could do that. We could say, hey, let's go to a movie. Well, what should we see? Well, such and such. Well, you know, it's rated R. You know, it's got the, well, it's only, it's only got nudity and a few, you know, you know, it'll be okay. I just, I won't pay any attention to it, you know. But if we, if we go and we're taking another believer with us, even if we don't take another believer, if we go and people see what we're watching or on TV as well, if they see that, and they're led into sin, they're, you know, it, if it affects their emotions, their mind, puts things into their mind that they should not see, nor should I see or you see, okay, we, can, we can directly lead a, another into sin. Um, we can share dirty jokes, you know, sort of a, maybe we don't do it at home, but at the workplace, it can become sort of the thing to do. I mean, I, I grew up in the workplace, and yeah, dirty jokes, I mean, of course, um, the new laws and things have gotten rid of all the dirty posters in the shop, you know, but still, <laughs> the dirty jokes still go on. Um, sharing questionable tax-saving ideas. Hey, you know what? Uh, I, you can save on taxes by doing this. I do this and this and this, and maybe they're sort of fudging the rules a little bit or lying on your taxes, and you've just told this other believer and makes the other believer think, hey, yeah, if he does that, I, I can do that too. So we have to be really careful that we can directly lead another believer into sin. Um, how, about, how about indirectly causing sin? To, by treating unkind, treating in insensitive ways, uh, by being a sinful example. Uh, Paul, Paul told Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Okay, so that's his instruction to Timothy. That, that really should be the, that's the instruction to all of us. We are to set an example to all believers. In what? In our, <clears throat> in our speech, how we talk. Are we talking filthy? Are we making uh, off-color jokes, off-color comments? That's very tempting to, to do those kind of things. Um, by our conduct, you know, other believers seeing what we do, what we do for enjoyment, for entertainment, um, in our love for each other. I mean, if we're not pouring our love out to each other, it's an example to the other believers in the church, but it's an example to the world. Jesus said, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we don't, 
we're basically telling the world we're not his disciple. Okay, so uh, scripture says we're to go overboard in showing love and honor to each other. We're to earnestly love each other from the heart. Okay, so that, that means action. Okay, we can just come on Sundays and say, I love you, but it means action. It means serving, um, trying to, you know, encouraging them to build them up in the faith. So there's, there's action uh, goes along with the love. In faith and in our purity. And we, have, we all have a long way to go. We're still in the process of sanctification. You know, God is still changing me, thankfully. Um, and I trust that he will continue changing me until I'm with him. So <clears throat> another way that we can indirectly lead people into sin is by flaunting our liberty. Okay, so if you want to read up on this, I'm not going to go into all the details, but um, later you can read Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, and you can read about what Paul said about, about liberty. As Christians, uh, we have a lot of freedom to do things that, you know, that uh, some may be, some may consider bad. Okay, I'll just take one example. Okay, let's say drinking alcohol. Okay, we have freedom to do that, not to get drunk, because being drunk is sin. But we have freedom to drink. Okay? But if there's another believer who's offended by that, who maybe doesn't have quite the same faith, and they think that any drinking is wrong, if I'm drinking in front of that believer and sort of rubbing it in their face and causing their conscience to be hurt, I mean, I'm sinning not just against the believer, I'm sinning against Christ. And Paul says in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8, in that, in that case it was about um, meat being sacrificed to idols. Okay, so uh, some had the faith to say, you know what, those, those idols are nothing. There's only one true God, so even though they said it was sacrificed to idols, it's, it's not, so I'm going to eat the meat. It doesn't really matter. But there, but there were others who still came out of that, and they felt like, hey, it was wrong to eat that meat because it was sacrificed to idols. And so Paul said, I would rather, I would just not eat meat if by eating meat was going to cause this believer who didn't have the faith to eat that meat, if I'm going to cause him to stumble, I just won't eat it. And so that's, so we can indirectly lead others into sin by flaunting our liberty. So we have to be really careful. I mean, yes, we have liberty in Christ to do things, not to sin, but we have to be uh, sensitive to other believers who maybe, you know, haven't grown in their faith enough and that their consciences bother them about certain things. You know, we have to be really careful. I mean, the warnings that Jesus said, woe to the world for temptations to come, to, to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Yeah, so there's a strong warning for us. Um, we are not to use our freedom to destroy the work of God. I mean, that's what Paul said. We're not to use our freedom to destroy the work of God. We can, we can lead a, another believer into sin by failing to lead in righteousness. We can starve each other by not sharing the truth of the word. You think, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything to lead them into sin or anything like that. Are you, are you using what God has given you through, uh, through what you're learning in Scripture? Are you sharing that with other believers to build them up? Because that's part of our responsibility as believers, to build each other up in the faith to cause them to grow. So if we're not doing that, if we're failing to do that, we're not leading them into righteousness. So it's sort of indirectly leading them into sin. We're not, we're not doing our part in leading them into righteousness by sharing the truth and blessing of God's word. So don't, don't starve your spiritual family. Um, 
Okay, the seriousness of sin, um, verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame and with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye and with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Okay, so he's not talking about, you know, that we're going to be, as a believer, we're going to be thrown into hell. Okay, we know from Scripture that our salvation is eternal, cannot be taken away. But it's a severe warning um, about the, the measures that we go to to avoid sin. And uh, Jesus talked about the same thing in Matthew 5, 27 to 30, uh, concerning the seriousness of sin. Um, he's, he gave this graphic illustration to show the seriousness. Sin is a matter of the heart. So cutting off your hand, picking out your eye, is not going to really take away sin. We know that sin is a matter of the heart. Okay? I, can, I can take both of my eyes out and I'll still lust. Okay, so... So what good is taking out my sin, but the uh, taking out my eyes? But the point is, it's the seriousness of it. In the Jewish culture, well, in, in Matthew five, Jesus said it, the right. He referred to the right hand and the right foot. Here he just says your hand or your feet. But in Matthew five, he talked about the right hand and right foot. To a Jew, the right hand and the right foot was like the most valuable, most important part of the body. They, they considered that the person's best and most precious faculties. So Jesus told him, you need to cut it off, your right hand and your right foot. So picture, the picture is giving up what's considered our best to avoid sin. Okay, so if we're struggling with a particular sin, we're to, we're, to, we're to consider giving up what we think is the best in order to avoid that sin. Or if we have a tendency to maybe lead somebody else into sin, uh, through flaunting our liberty or something like that. Just like Paul said, I'm willing to give up meat if, that, if that's going to offend my brother. So it may mean giving up something you consider very precious. We should be willing to give up whatever is necessary. Okay, I say that, it sounds like I know what I'm saying, like I, I've mastered that. No, <laughs> it's not easy and I haven't mastered that. And I, sometimes I can't even think of an example, but God will bring up into our minds examples of when those situations come up. We should be willing to give up whatever is necessary. Nothing is worth keeping at the expense of righteousness. Yeah. So we, we a lot of times don't take sin seriously. Do we hate sin? I mean, I, I, my, my prayer often is that I will hate sin the way God does. Because I know that in my heart, I don't hate sin the way God does. Do you? Know, do you? you know, that may need to be your prayer, too. Are we serious about dealing with sin? Will we take whatever action is necessary to keep it from having dominion over us so that we won't cause one of these little ones, these other, these other believers, to stumble and ourselves? Is it possible... It is possible to acknowledge sin without mourning over it. Remember in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are, um, well, the second one is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, so we can acknowledge sin without mourning over it. So our prayer should be that we would mourn over sin, that we would be sorry over our sin 
just like Jesus is. I mean, if we do that, we're going to be less likely to lead another believer into sin. Um, It's easy to give up things we don't like. Oh, yeah, I'll give that up. What about about sins you enjoy? (laughs) You don't have to admit them to me, but I I mean, I, I would be embarrassed to admit to you some of the sins I enjoy or enjoy thinking about. Uh, am I willing to give those up? Um, what about sins we think we have a right to continue? Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the way we treat other people. Well, God, you don't know the way that person is. But, so we don't want to give that up. The way we treat other believers is the way we treat Christ. So, <clears throat> what are we holding on to? that we think is so necessary uh, that we can't give up. We should do anything to avoid sin. And, the, and um, I just listed a few things, uh, things that we might enjoy. Pornography. Yeah, the world's in love with pornography. Even believers, I'm sure, too. Drunkenness. Uh, impatience. Oh, my gosh, I've been... I don't know, I, I blame everything on my accident, but I've been much more impatient on the road. Even Anna's noticed it. Sam, you need to calm down. I've become, <laughs> I've become much more impatient driver than ever before. I thought I was always patient. It's, sort of, it's like sort of coming out. Um, anger, so easy to get angry with each other. Are we, uh, are we serious about that? And do we mourn over it? Do I, you know, do I say, God, forgive me for being impatient with that crazy driver on the road that's <laughs> not driving good? Um, yeah, are we willing to do whatever's necessary to give up sin? Because the warnings that Jesus gave are really strict. Woe to the person by whom the temptation comes. You know, let's not be people who allow, let's not be people who lead other believers into sin. Yeah. So that means that we've got to be watching ourselves as well. We need to be very mournful of sin. We need to be in the Word daily, letting God's Holy Spirit convict us, because it's so easy. I mean, I, I know, I mean, I was reading something the other day, and it convicted me, because it was talking about something, and I thought, you know what, I'm just like that. I didn't even realize that, and so, like, the Word of God confronts us with sin that maybe we didn't even recognize. So that's important. I mean, it's, and it happens over time. That's why you need to be reading daily because it's not like, um, let's see, what's God want me to read? Let's see, I'll just close my eyes and open the Bible. Okay, yeah. Um, and then from that, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of sin. Well, maybe, but in most cases, it's reading consistently through all of Scripture and God's going to convict you of what He wants to convict you of. Um, okay, verse, um, verse uh, 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so he continues on how we treat other believers. So he still has his child with him. He, the disciples have just been arguing uh, who's the greatest. Jesus has the child there. The child represents all believers. He says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. 
Okay, we always wonder, what is God's will for us? Okay, well, one of them is that we don't despise another believer. Jesus, was refer he's referring again to the little child on his lap, symbolic of each humble believer who has come to, come to Christ, because he, he refers to the child as who believes in me. Despise, the word despise means to, to spurn or belittle by treating unkindly or indifferently. It, it has the literal meaning of thinking down on, a contrast to how as members of the body of Christ we are, we are to love and to treat each other. As I've said it before, but how we love and treat other believers is how we treat Christ. Uh, Philippians 2, it talks about humility. You know, that, that we're to think of each other as more important than ourselves. Okay, so obviously the disciples were not thinking of each other as more important than themselves. They were thinking about trying to lift themselves up, promote themselves to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? And so they, they were not thinking of each other as more important than themselves. But that's how we are to treat each other. And so the word despise means to treat indifferently, to think down on. Okay, that's completely opposite of the way we're supposed to be treating each other. Jesus said, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. And the warnings, some of the warnings up ahead, you want a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean? I mean, it would be better for that, or better for your hand or foot to be cut off than to lead one of these little ones astray. Okay, so you might think, oh, I don't, I don't lead any, any of the little one, the little child. No, the, the child represents the believers. And so really all of us are those believing little children. Uh, of, course it rep of course it can mean the little kids who are in the nursery, but it can mean each one of us too. So the warning is very severe. We are to be, um, we are not to despise a fellow believer, to, to belittle each other, or treat unkindly. We're to be forgiving. I mean, you all know uh, Ephesians 4.32. We are, to, we are to forgive each other as Christ forgave us. And then in the, uh, the, the parable of the unforgiving sermon, uh, servant in Matthew 18, Chris is going to get that probably next year. Well, that's, no, that's only a few verses. <laughs> A few verses from now, so he'll probably be there in a, in a few weeks. Uh, the uh, the un, unforgiving servant. Um, you're familiar with the story that it gets to the end, and the uh, and the servant wanted compassion from his master. The master gave him compassion, compassion, forgave his debt, but then the other guy owed him some money, and he had no compassion on him, and made him pay up. And so then, when the when the master found out, he took the servant and said, "Look, I showed you mercy. You didn't show this guy mercy. You're going to jail." So you pay it all off. We are to forgive each other as Christ forgave us. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't forgive each other, I'm not going to forgive you. Okay, so, I mean, are, we've been forgiven so that we know we're going to heaven. It doesn't mean that we're going to lose our salvation, but it's like in 1 John. You know, if we, we can walk in fellowship with Jesus or we can not walk in fellowship with Jesus, if we're not forgiving each other, we're not going to be walking in fellowship with Jesus. And so we're not going to grow in our faith. We're not going to have that sweet, sweet communion with Christ that we can have. Um, you know, God is, God is not going to use you in other people's lives. And so, yeah, so um, it's a scary thing to think God is not going to forgive me because I didn't forget some, forgive somebody else. So that's, I mean, that's, uh, 
just like, just like these warnings about leading others into sin. If we're not forgiving each other, in a sense, we're, we're causing somebody else to stumble. <clears throat> um, um, yeah, I already mentioned Philippians 2. Considering others is more important than ourselves. Not, not showing partiality in James. James 2 talks about how we're not to show partiality. The person comes in dressed nicely and everything else. Oh, come on up here to the front. Well, nobody, nobody sits in the front row here, but uh, we would say, oh, come in and sit at the back. <laughs> the exclusive seat's in the back, and that'll force everybody else to come sit up front. <laughs> So it just depends on the culture. So and for us, it's the back seats, the, 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 uh, the expensive ones. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so treating, treating each other uh, impartially, not showing favoritism to some people. You know, some people we like, some, people, some others we don't. So we might show favoritism. Um, James, James was very clear that we're not to show favoritism to anybody. Um, that's a way of leading people into sin. I mean... Huge, huge warnings about that. Um, I already mentioned about flaunting our liberty in Christ. Um, with weaker believers especially. Um, if we see another believer in need and turn our back and not do anything, okay, I mean, that is, um, that's a form of despising. I mean, how, I mean Jesus, Jesus said that before. How can you see somebody in need and not help them you know, and that's why he said in Matthew 25, um, if, you, if you've done it to the least of one of these, my children, you've done it to me. So, yeah, we, we are to be serving each other, helping any way that we can help. If we see people in need, we should be willing to help. Um, and if we don't, if we can and we don't, it's, it's really it's sin because we're not willing to give up something to help another believer. If we have the means to do it, and we're just holding it back because we're selfish. Um, resenting other believers for pointing out our sin. Ah, I, don't, I don't like that. You know, I don't want you telling me how to live my life. But we're supposed to. I mean, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be encouraging each other, building each other up in the faith. And, um, and so if there's something that you see in me, I would expect you to say something. I, I, may, I may punch you, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully God will, will convict me. I mean, it's, uh, it, is, it should be sobering to the disciples by now um, that, their, that their controversy about pride was causing envy, jealousy, and anger. I mean, it should have been obvious and with all these things that Jesus was talking to them. They should have realized, man, oh, wait, gosh, we, we should not have been talking about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Okay, just looking quickly at the, uh, at the sheep, um, in verse, starting in verse uh, 10, and the, uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, of course, we know Jesus is the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay, so Jesus knows the sheep. Let's look at, look at what happens here. Um, the shepherd had a hundred sheep and one's lost. I mean, you might think, I mean, sometimes I think, you know, and how did he even know that one was gone? He got a hundred sheep scattered around the mountain. How do he even know? Do they all come and line up and, you know, count off every night and he, that he figured, you know, saw one? But the sheep knew them. Je I mean, just like Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. Jesus knows us. I mean, each sheep Jesus knows. So this shepherd, he knows his sheep intimately. He knows that one's missing. He goes after them. He doesn't wait. He doesn't wait for uh, something to happen. He goes after them. He doesn't wait for the sheep to return on its own. He rescues the sheep. He finds it and then rejoices. The Father in heaven and angels rejoice. So it's, you can think of the, uh, the other uh, situations like that, the, the prodigal son that comes back, the, the, the lost coin, the woman who loses her coin and searches for it and finds it and rejoices. In that case, it also says, the Father in heaven rejoiced and the angels rejoiced when one believer is found, when one person comes to Christ. <clears throat> And then in verse 14 it says, and so it, is, and so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Okay, referring again to the child, he's not saying perish eternally, because as believers we cannot perish eternally. Our salvation is sure and secure. So the, the context in the word there, perish, means spiritual devastation. Okay, so going back with the whole theme of this first 14 verses, Jesus doesn't want to see a little child or a believer to suffer spiritual devastation. He wants us to be growing. He wants us to be encouraging each other. He doesn't want us to be leading each other into sin. And so we have to watch our example, just like Paul told Timothy. We need to be examples in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. <clears throat> Do you see the value of each individual sheep? Okay. One sheep out of a hundred... No big deal. No, he goes after them. And then they rejoice that they're found. Um, it says, um, I tell you in verse 10, I tell you, let me just mention this quickly. I tell you in heaven that their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like some might teach that each of us have a guardian angel. Okay, it doesn't say that. The, the word and the context, the word is collective. So we, we all have angels in heaven who are before God all the time. They have direct access to God. They're in the face of God all the time. And those angels are sent as ministering spirits for us to help us. For I tell you, Jesus tells them, for I tell you that in heaven their, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in, set, in heaven. Okay, so that's another caution about despising one of these little ones. I mean, all of us have angels before the throne of God all the time. So would we dare to despise one of, one of the others, one of us here, or somebody in the broader church, the world church? Any believer, would we dare to despise or lead into sin when all the angels in heaven are before the throne of God all the time to help those, to help us? And, uh, and when one is found, they all rejoice um, I'll, just, I'll just close. Um, and anybody remember high school English? <laughs> yeah. Steve, Steve does. <laughs> Steve's probably glad to finish it. I, you know, I liked my teacher, but I hated high school English because the teacher would always say, well, what does the author mean by this? Oh, my gosh, I did not, I did not want to write... Uh, essay about what the writer meant. I mean, I couldn't care less what the writer meant by it. 
And, and one of those things was, uh, no man is an island. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I struggle with that. And I, cause, I mean, I basically live my life thinking, no, I'm an island. I, I don't need anybody else. I really, I really didn't. I don't need anybody. Um, I'm, I'm separate, you know. It's, um, I'm, but in the Christian life, if we live that kind of life, we're a lone ranger. You know, we're just off by ourselves, trying, trying to compete, trying to live our life in a, in a proper way. That's not the way God designed it. God designed us to live in a community of believers, to love and encourage, to build up each other, to hold each other accountable, um, to make sure that we are, um, you know, following Christ. I mean, I need that. You need that. God has, God has been so patient to change me over time. And as I say, I, hopefully, um, even after now, God will continue to change me. So I, I think more in this church than anywhere else, um, God has showed me my need and value of the church body. So I hope you, I hope you see that too. <clears throat> Every believer is in Christ and a part of his body, the larger worldwide body of believers. We are a building being built into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Every believer, every child of God is valuable to God. We are to love, serve each other as we do Christ. With the severe warning against causing another believer to stumble, it's our responsibility and joy as believers to encourage each other, build each other up in the faith toward maturity in Christ and to the building up of the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would accomplish all that you have for it in our lives today. Lord, just uh, encourage us in your word. Father, may it be a motivation for us to spend more time this week in your word to, to see what you have for us. Uh, Father, just increase our love for you. Increase our love for each other. Um, help us to see that the way we treat each other, each believer, no matter who they are in the world, is the way that we treat you. So, Father, help us to remember that. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.